Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known fact of the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. everyone. New episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, with her groundbreaking performance as Pamela in Head Over Heels on Broadway, she is bringing a message of body positivity and helping audiences every night embrace what makes them different and celebrate those differences with her star turn in Head Over Heels. Welcome Bonnie Milligan to the podcast. A-okay. My guest today is Bonnie Milligan, also known to musical theater fans worldwide as Belting (laughs) Bonnie. Bonnie is currently making her Broadway debut to critical acclaim starring in Head Over Heels. Previously, meaning before Head Over Heels, (laughs) there was a whole theatrical life, which includes Bonnie playing the original role of Pat in the first national tour of Kinky Boots, and off-Broadway roles included parts in the plays God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, Gigantic, and Jasper in Deadland. Some of her TV credits include a recurring role on Search Party, Happy for the Sci-Fi Channel, and apparently, little-known fact, she's going to star in an upcoming new series from a little-known up-and-comer named Ben Stiller. I don't know. Haven't heard of him, but I wish good things for Ben Stiller. She can often be seen performing at the cabaret Feinstein's 54 Below in all sorts of wonderful creations that uh, she shares with the world. And as recently as last night, she became the recipient of the John Adams Hero Award for Outstanding Broadway Debut. And I'm so thrilled to welcome Bonnie Milligan, Belt and Bonnie, to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This is an extraordinary journey. What I love about your story is that it will feel like that overnight success story. <laughs> and I think what we're going to unearth today is there's no such thing. No, no, um, Unless you're born on Monday and on a Tuesday, you are a global sensation. <laughs> right. It just really doesn't happen that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless um, you're like in the royal family. Or like Kate no. Plus 8 or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> a very good reality show that I highly recommend. <laughs> um, so... First of all, I want to start with a huge congratulations for your beautiful, comedic and vocal and dramatic turn. All of that is <laughs> happening uh, in Head Over Heels, Thank this musical um, that I'm just going to describe as an Elizabethan pastoral sex romp mm-hmm. that combines songs from the Go-Go's catalog of music with the archaic story of the Countess of Pembroke's Arcadia, written by Sir Philip Sidney in the late 16th century. Would yeah, you say? That's literally <laughs> you say it. That's yeah. true? Um, Which sounds nutty, but it's a good time. Yes. Directed <laughs> by my beloved Michael Mayer, who uh, cast me in Your Good Man, Charlie Brown. So we both know what it is to have someone kind of help you unearth things inside yourself that you didn't even know maybe were there or find a way to celebrate the thing that was there in um, a way that shares you with a larger audience. But before Head Over Heels, there was a person working bit by bit to make her way in the world of theater. Truth. (laughs) Truth. (laughs) Word. Yes. (laughs) Speak on it. <laughs> Let's do it. Work. Um, so 
How did you fall in love with the performing arts? When did they enter your life in a way that you can remember? Well, I always sang. My, um, I grew up in the church. Um, my dad, they, my parents met when my dad was the new lead singer of a Southern gospel group. My mom was the pianist for. Wow. So <laughs> that is of, romantic. That kind of a lot. Um, so as soon as I could talk, we would kind of go around and my parents would sing and they were kind of a traveling duo. And I'm um, thinking, I <clears throat> like keep picturing for some reason Sonny and Cher, which is not at all what you're, des- <laughs> no. what you're describing. But if you want to picture that, sure. I'm sure my mother would love to be compared to Cher. <laughs> Not a bad comparison. Where is this when you say they met and where you um, grew up? Central what part Illinois, of the world? Decatur, Illinois. Okay. Um, amongst the cornfields and all the soybean fields you could want. Nice. And so I always sang. And then um, when I was 10, I got the lead in the school play. And it was George Ann, the elf that saves Christmas. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be an actress. Got it. And it was like, this is it. Oh, I got it. Well, and, you were right. Which was a big, big dream. You know, I grew up in a double wide trailer. Um, literally. With, and literally. Okay. Yeah, so talk I about had a that. license plate on the back of my house. Okay. Um, so what was the name of your trailer community? Well, it wasn't a trailer community. Oh. It was just my own. Like, well, it wasn't mine, clearly. Uh, my, it will be, goddammit. <laughs> it, it will yeah. be. <laughs> my grandparents owned, like, a bunch of acreage, I guess, around their house, and they owned this trailer. And honestly, I... Oh, so we it wasn't didn't have a community. It was at your grandparents. No, yeah, it on was their on land. their lot, okay. essentially, and they had had it there. I don't know the story of it before, but um, we had moved away for a couple of years to Maryland, and we were coming back, and we moved into the trailer. And I don't know much about it other than well, we're living in the trailer. How old were you? When I you was moved seven. Into it, seven when we came back. Okay, um, and yeah, so I would like. W- you know, walk. There was a farm that was right up the, to the back of the house, and I would a go through the farm with like horses and yeah. And I would um, walk through the field over to my grandma's house and catch the bus there, and she'd make me breakfast every morning and get off the bus there and hang out until you know the parents came home. And it was kind of a very you know small town. There were like twenty five kids in a grade where I went to school. Did you have any siblings? have an older brother. Okay. He's uh, five years older than me. So, yeah. So we kind of grew up there. And um, was that normal how you grew up or literally the structure you grew up in? Were you fine having friends come over? Was that the norm? Was it unusual? Did you feel any awareness that like, I don't live in an actual house? I'm in a trailer. I have one friend that literally we would kind of joke she used to they would always want to come over to my house my grandparents they had like a little golf cart because they had a few acres and we well when we were older they would let us kind of drive around on it but they're like let's go to bonnie's house let's go to bonnie's house and i remember one day we were in maybe junior high like the end of grade school i don't remember and i said why do we always go to my house like let's go to someone else's and i had one friend who said yours is the only one with a license plate on the back of it (laughs) and i was like and I was, I remember just being a little devastated by that because it's, I don't know, you know, it wasn't a wealthy town I came from, so it wasn't a big deal. But there was that, like, knowledge that you have taillights on the back of your house. Right. And it wasn't a mobile house. I mean, it was literally on cement blocks. But yeah. at one point it had been driven, yeah. you know. And I remember, you know, inside the house, like, yes, it, it wasn't. You know, there were tile leaking kind of ceiling kind of stuff. But no, I mean, I, I was always provided for and it wasn't like, you know, we always had food on the table and my mom's an amazing cook. And um, I was always really very taken care of. I just remember being like, oh, the trailer. Yeah. And, you know. Oh, to have a house without a license plate. Yeah. <laughs> Someday. I mean, yeah. yeah. And every time it rained, like ants came into my room and it was always my, because my ceiling was a little different than everybody else. I don't understand why, but um, it was all those little things that I remember thinking. I hated the trailer. Sure. I really did. And then um, my parents got divorced. And the- How old were you? 13. Oh, that's a great it's a age. Perfect I age. Love it. I mean, like really emotionally Guys, stable. Don't do Hormones when I'm twelve or sixteen. <laughs> Can you wait? Thirteen is perfect. Thank you. It's perfect. <laughs> 
And at one point, my mom and I moved into another property my grandparents owned, but in town, which was like a little two bedroom house that without we, your brother because he yeah, was gone he, at he that was, point. Yeah, he was um, college. Well, he was off at boot camp at this point. So where did your dad go? He, where did he go right then? I can't remember where he first went. I think he just got like a, an apartment maybe nearby. Uh, we kind of had a little rift for a while. Mm-hmm. And then my mom got remarried and we moved to Northwest Ohio when I was 16. And my dad moved back to Detroit, Michigan, which is where he grew up. So is that, were you in 11th grade when yeah. you moved? So that's right intense. for junior year. So yeah. <laughs> was the theater something that gave you some sort of continuity at that time? Oh, definitely. I had a cousin that was living um, in Toledo, Ohio at the time. And we were moving to like 45, we we talk in like driving time for, the, for, for some reason in the Midwest, but we were like 45 miles, 45 minute drive from um, 45 Toledo. Minutes. We were like, that's about, that's probably mileage, right? Like, yeah. Probably not, but it's fine. <laughs> um, and so she immediately knew that we were moving and I did theater. So she had a friend that had, they had just held auditions for like a community theater production of Joseph. And she said, my cousin's moving, and I know she does theater. Like, can she be a part of it? And she said, well, we're already cast, but they hadn't quite started. And she said, I could always use pit singers. I don't know if she'd want to do that. And I was like, absolutely. Sure. Please. Please. So we moved because we moved in the summer. So I jumped right into that production. And it was. Was it community theater? Mm, it was, was community it theater. Yeah. It was a little place called Waterville Play Shop. And Sweet. I would drive like 45 minutes to go do you know the rehearsals and I was starting a new school and and it was a very clicky town very and all of a sudden I was like oh this is what it meant because you know in Illinois it was so small you had your friends but there weren't enough people to make like giant clicks right you just kind of hung out with who you hung out with and y'all knew each other but then this school it was only like 110 kids in a grade but to me that was ginormous because I was used to like 25 sure um and there was money in the school because they had a factory in town that did woodworking and they had like an old-timey village anyway all this like tax money coming in because it employed so many people in this town I think it was like a town of 4,000 that employed like eight like it was it had so much industry and things coming in that there was a fair amount of money in the school which was great, but um, how did that intense. feel different to you? Do you mean the kids like felt flat like screen re- TV, oh, fancy. you know, stuff like that? And yeah, there were. It was one of those towns where like your name matters in the town. Did you grow up here? Well, mm. are you? You know, insert last name. Right. Well, who are you? And it was interesting. I came up against a lot of stuff. I think that started building character for me early, which was good. Of like. You know, I I came in and it was time to um, apply to try to join the National Honor Society. And I had people trying to fight me, get into it because I didn't have a name, which made no sense. I had all the grades. And when you say people, was it faculty or um, other kids? Mostly kids' parents. Yeah. So what would that look like? And they were like, kids that had like B average or like C grades trying to get in and I had all A's and they were like well she hasn't been here which makes no sense I think like about it now and I'm like what? You'd come into the office with your application and they'd be like mm. well I remember honestly I because you had to get like a couple teachers to do recommendation letters and I had I remember being terrified but thinking I have to dive into this process and make friends and I've got to go for it and push that like actor side of me forward Um, because you know I think a lot of us there's that actual side shy side of us that you know we we turn it on on stage and in a process but if I'm in a room full of strangers I I can my inclination is to be a little quiet to take things in and to figure out like how I can you know fit in or or talk or stand out and um, especially when I was younger and I thought, I don't have time to do that. Like, I have to go forward and make friends and be here because it's junior year. <laughs> and and I remember thinking I had such high pressure in Illinois because I was always at the top of the class. And there was a certain identity and being you're the smart kid and you're the good girl because my dad was a preacher. And there's right. all these things. And you're like, but can I just I want to hear the dirty joke. I want, you know, like right. I want to like, you know, and I I, I want to not have all the pressure of being perfect. And it was so much pressure that I was like, I'm just going to be me. And I became like the funny kid. So this is sort of 
you could be whoever you wanted to be when yes. you moved. And fresh slate. Right. And I got to be funny. And I got to be like literally like a, a, a girl who people were like, oh, I want to hang out with her. She's fun. And there were the less pressures of like, oh, but does she get all A's? And I was like, yeah, but who cares? Yeah. Um, and so I remember trying to make friends with everybody. And that also like raised some eyebrows with kids in the school because – God forbid I like if the popular kids approved of me sitting with them at lunch the next day, how how dare you go sit with the music kids or how dare and I'm like, well, I like everyone. So I remember going to a specific teacher I'd kind of connected with pretty the English teacher, asking her for a letter of recommendation. And she was like, I will I just I I want you to know that it might not happen. This is it's a political town. It's kind of crazy. And you absolutely should be inducted. I just don't know that you will be. I don't want you to get your hopes up. It is an insane town. And I was like, uh, okay. And then I, I got in and, and, and I did find out later that somebody did try to like, because their child didn't get in. And they're like, but it was it was that kind of insanity that, and little things, I would get a, a choir solo. Well, shit, it's all the things I found you came up against in this small town. Can I tell you what's so crazy? I don't know if you've heard of her. She um, is a lovely little actress named Kelly O'Hara. Oh, um, I think so. <laughs> Look her up. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll so Google. she was sitting in the same seat you are sitting now and almost told me the exact same story verbatim when she moved from her small, you know, farming town yeah. to another town. And, and it was about being cast in the musicals yeah. at her show. And it wasn't the kids who were the bullies. It was actually the parents in subtle and unsubtle ways yeah. who gave her, uh, in a not-so-subtle way, a very hard time. Who do you think you are getting the lead in the yeah. show? You just show up. Yep. And it's a remarkable thing yeah. as we live in a world right now where we are trying so much as the adults to help shepherd our kids toward a life of empathy and inclusion and diversity. And you hear these stories. I mean, you were not in high school that long ago. You are a very yeah. young person. <laughs> and you are you are describing something that is such an archaic concept to yeah. me that the people we look to to guide us and help pave the way towards fairness and be teachers are the enemy. It yeah. is unbelievable to me, and it breaks my heart. But look at you now. Look at me now. And was the desire to get this scholarship or to be inducted because that is sort of toward your college future? Absolutely. It was all ready for you about how do yeah. I get to the next step? Yeah. I mean, I knew it was going to come down to what scholarships can I get and right. where can I go? And yeah, and I again, I don't wanted to come off like I wasn't provided for, but it was harder for us, you know? Yes. And at this point, my mom had remarried and it wasn't as dire, you know, as it had been. But I find out even like later, my mom had said at one point when she was, you know, a single parent for a couple of years, she was making $16,000 a year. Mm. And I'm just like, what? And right. I was at home with her. Like, how did we live? But you were protected from that. I was that. protected from that. And she made sure, and my grandparents made sure that like I didn't feel that growing up. What did, so amazing. obviously when she wasn't playing, uh, clearly the band broke up when the marriage broke up. Yeah. So two questions. Yeah. Did you grow up very religious? Were you in, was the church sort of your center? Um, to, uh, I mean, to tell you the truth, it was always definitely at the, the, the center of how I went through life, but I don't know that it was my personal center mm -hmm. to... But it was your family's but tradition. But it was for sure, yeah. Um, it was always a, a little different from me. What denomination? What, what were you guys? Christian. Um, uh, to tell you the truth, my, my dad preached at lots of different kinds of denominations. Okay. So I remember at one point when I was a kid, I said, what are we? My mom's like, Christian. Because we would go, <laughs> we're whenever we here are. one day, Lutheran here one day, yeah. this, you know, back and forth. I'm like, I don't know what we are. So he, like, would, we're have, just Christian. Uh, he would have a church that he was the preacher he, for, but he moved to different he churches? He was more like a, a traveling guest. guest. He was kind of a traveling guest. Okay. He did hold some churches here and there, but mostly we would go and... Um, so it was a lot of different churches every week. And were you doing a lot of Bible study as a kid in groups um, or not so much? Not so much like that. Although I like there were different times where we would go to church Wednesday nights and Sunday, you know, and all the different things. I went to church camp over the summers and all that 
stuff. All the good church stuff. All the good church stuff. And so when your mom remarried, did your stepdad have kids? Yes, he has um, two kids. So one my age and like two weeks older than me. And so, and she moved in with us. So when we moved to Ohio, we were like across the hall from each other. And I had met her like two weeks before we moved because they had been in Indiana because he was um, a salesman for, he sells ag equipment. My mom is a secretary and that's how they had originally met and become friends. So that was her job. She was a secretary yeah. for this agricultural company. Mm, yeah. And then that's the company they met in. Yeah. Was that stepsister in the same high school as you when you moved yes. in the same grade? Yes. Did she apply for that same scholarship? No. Okay. No. Opposites. Okay. That was not her concern. No, ma'am. Thank nope. you for calling me ma'am. I appreciate that. <laughs> and if you could call me ma'am for the duration of this interview, I would appreciate it very much. Okay. Um, so you finished Joseph in the Amazing Technical yes. <laughs> Dream Code. From the pit. You were a pit singer. I was. You're in this high school. You are navigating an incredible amount of stuff emotionally. Yes. And I was in like the, what do you call it? The, the counselor's office, like all the time. And what would you bring in there? Well, it was just, um, there, was a, there was a lot of moving pains with the stepsister and her and my parents were kind of at it a lot. Mm. And that just kind of also drove, I felt like my need to be perfect in the stable one in the home. And I was being... I was losing my mind a little bit. And so I was just like a high, highly anxious person who was desperately showing how like fun and carefree I was at school and yet like so stressed out about everything. Right. Yeah. But singing? But singing. Singing was always my like my way of processing feelings. I, you know, find is that's how I connect. That's how I connect with God or, you know, whatever's going on inside me is like through through singing. I know how to do that. And you know what I mean? Like I'm Did you feel confident way. even then in your singing? Um, what's funny is I remember saying something to my high school choir teacher who also did drama. And I remember saying, I'd love to be on Broadway, but I don't know if I have a voice for it. Mm. <laughs> And I remember I loved it. I knew I was good at it. I didn't know. Um, I didn't really belt or anything till college and find my own kind of voice um, till later. But I remember I loved it. And I, I just wanted to, um, and I loved Broadway musicals and the cast albums and everything. Did you see a touring company of a big Broadway show before getting to New York? Yeah. I remember we had gone to like The King and I when I was a kid. My mom took me and um, we sat front row and we talked to the conductor and I was just like this is amazing yeah and um and more so touring stuff when I was in college I'd seen a few things when I was um younger but so when you went off to college was it to major in musical theater um well we, they didn't have a musical theater program I went to Ohio State okay because they essentially gave me like all my money. Yeah, they and did. And also because you were a National Merit Award winning okay. scholarship kid. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so I, uh, it's funny because I kind of begrudgingly went at first. I was like, oh, I wanted to go to, you know, a program. But I loved it there because it was, it was more of an acting, you know, degree, liberal, liberal degree. But, but they had a drama program. But they had a drama program, and there was a lot of emphasis on new work. And um, I write as well, and I kind of developed as a writer there. And I'd always written things when I was a kid and never thought of it like that. And I remember a professor was like, you have it. You, Bonnie, you have something special, and you have a voice, and you need to use it. And I was like, okay. And it was amazing, you know, and we did all the, like, you know, Stanislavski and Meisner and, you know, some film, like all the different kind of the spectrum of a program, which was nice. And a Big Ten school, which was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. So you came to New York right after school. Yeah. So tell me about that decision. By the time you finished, what did you see for yourself? Well, I knew I wanted to be in New York. I knew at this point, you know, I want to do musical theater and, Had you, you know, been to New York before? Yes. So yes. when had you come? I first came on a school, was it the school choir trip or was it a trip with friends? I 
I'm trying to remember. I think it was a trip with friends. We did like a road trip mm-hmm. um, the summer after my junior year. And we came and saw a couple of shows. And I was like, yep, 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 yep. Do you remember what you saw? We saw Rent and um, Aida. And then um, you were on the same trip as Nicolette <laughs> Robinson. Really? She was just here. She's like, I saw it. Aida, right? Like she's like, and then I went back to Aida again because yeah. I was like, oh my god, yeah, yeah. And then we came back with the like the choir, and then I went another time with friends, and then I made a few trips when I was in college too. So there was a confidence or an idea about you belonging in this For community, sure. yeah, definitely. And then like at the end of college, I kind of had some doubts planted in me about what success I could possibly find from due to my size. And so how how was that articulated to you? Well, one, you know, teacher who at this point she and she was a larger woman was like I I want to you'll work when you're 40. And I just want to, like, help brace you for that. And this is, you know, to help you. And I'm like, okay, okay. And I'm like, but I can still, I can just still do this. And then um, someone else, frankly, over drinks said, you're not going to work because you're fat and I don't want that. And I love you and I want to help you. And the next day was like, I'm so sorry. I, I don't believe that. I shouldn't have said that. I don't know why I said that. But, of course, it still, I thought. Oh, of course, I forgive you. It's fine. It's fine. And it wasn't till like years later I realized that a part of me held on to those words and believed them. Well, when you were in college and getting, were you cast in different shows? Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like your casting was limited by your size then or were they pretty open um, about casting all sorts of people in all sorts of parts? I, I mean, I guess it was more, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I did certain things. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't wasn't fully like down to like you didn't have to have like fat in the description kind of casting uh-huh. for sure and in my last year we did um tony kushner's a bright room called day and um i was agnes which is described as she's a character actress is what it says mm-hmm. in there but nothing nothing insane nothing that like it wasn't painful like, and no. people weren't mm-hmm. sort of pointing to you and going can't do that part no 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 but then when i i when I first came to the city, it was like a, a weird roadblock that I had, you know, allowed to set up inside me. Like the words had planted things sure. I hadn't really realized. And I was. And we also listen, we live in a world where every message is that anyway. I yeah. mean, even if it wasn't coming from an actual person you yeah. knew, it's like, you know, every billboard, every magazine, yeah. everything, you know, it's, it's yeah. hard for all of us to yeah. handle the standard being presented to us right. and figure out, like, so who am I? Yeah. And what are my gifts if I don't look like that airbrushed person? Yeah. And then I was taking a like a voice class and doing exercises and um, feeling kind of in my body in a different way. And I was a little bit bigger than I was last time I'd done these kind of exercises. And it was tongue tension day. And I just started sobbing. And I was like, Oh, and un- unlocked that memory. And they're like, speak on it, speak. And I had an amazing voice teacher, Elena McGee, is gorgeous. I don't know if she's still at the Linklater Center, but she's. Is on, that where you were? Was that where, where was. you went yeah. to study? Yeah. And she was like, you, we, I, I need you to know like what it feels like to talk through this. Like you need to be on your voice right now. And and I, I just, I couldn't think of anything, not even song lyrics, nothing. My voice, I mean, I just thought of that story. Wait, so, what is the exercise mm-hmm. literally? Like you put like, what your, is tongue ten- like tell tongue me what it is. behind your bottom teeth and you just kind of go up on the sky like, ha, 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 ha. And I got into a part on the scale where I just kind of broke through. And I think a lot of, you know, you tense up here, like at least I do when I get emotional and you try to swallow and not cry. And sure. that's where it kind of unlocked. And so you're crying in the class. Uh-huh. And just doing like, your tongue tension exercise. Yeah. And we were going because we were doing individual. And she, we, there were only like eight people that day. Like several people hadn't shown up. It was a small class It was anyway. like back in Decatur <laughs> yeah. where it was, everyone knew everyone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it came to me and she's like, all right, Bonnie. And I got And I just was like, whoa, like out of nowhere. How old are you at this day, this 20... time? Twenty. Three, no, okay. like 24. Okay. Yeah. And um, so she's like, talk, she's through, like, talk it. through it. Put words to what's going on. Yeah. 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 Or yeah. anything you can to express yeah. it. Yeah. And you're like, a, 
I can't. I was like, I don't know. I can't, I can't, I can't. And then the story kind of came pouring out of me. Of and the I, drink and the person uh-huh. telling you, yeah. not for nothing, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. And, I and realized, then saying they're sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm really unhappy. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize how unhappy I was. I also at that point hadn't been doing any uh, performing in like a year, which was the longest in my whole life since I'd started that I hadn't done a thing. I mean, long story short, it got me into therapy, which was necessary. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of stuff I had never kind of worked through that then I worked through, which is, well, I probably should get back into therapy. But, you know, things that I needed to tackle and realize and to find a way to kind of love myself again because I had gotten to a place where I just didn't like myself and Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much I didn't like myself and to how to to try to figure out how to build up the confidence that was once so strong in me this kid that walked into a new school and just was like balls to the wall well this is going to be hard but I gotta do it kind of a attitude and the I know I don't fit the mold but what I'm special and something's in me that's meant to be on stage and all of that that had been kind of was gone for a little while. So when you first literally got to New York, yeah, did you move in with some friends? Did you have a job? Like, what did you literally do? Well, so in Ohio, somebody had... Uh, I went to Ohio State. Otterbein University is kind of next door, and I knew a lot of kids. Can I ask you a favor? Yeah. Can you put into song, I'm going to say four words. Why, oh, why, Ohio? Why did I ever leave Ohio? Thank you. <laughs> it's been a dream. Ever since I read you were from Ohio, I thought, God, if I could just get her. And if you could add the why, oh, why, oh. Yeah. I could harmonize with you. Thank I you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> why, 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 why did I ever leave Ohio? Ohio? Thank you. Next. <laughs> All right. Cut, print. <laughs> uh, we nailed it and crushed I took, it. I took the Donna Murphy um, harmony from the Wonderful Town Reunion. I was Jennifer and Westfeld just, from the Revival, and it's I think true. we did great. I think we did great. Um so I would say that you were better than me, but it's not a competition. <laughs> it was shaky. It was shaky. <laughs> we were both timid. We don't know we each other. We were both timid. Well. It's like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But don't I'm judge really us. proud of us. Don't judge us. But it was fun to do. <laughs> so you got here and. Oh, yeah. So I was, um, you know, in Ohio. And Ohio, somebody. Ohio. <laughs> I know. And somebody was like, well, you know. David, which is this guy, this guy I knew, again, who had been at the other university, but we all kind of knew each other. Is that it? Yeah. He was away on some kind of a gig. And one of the girls I knew from Ohio was out there subletting his room okay. to try New York. And where in New York was this? Upper East apartment? Side. Okay. 89th and 3rd. As it turns out. And uh, she did not like New York. And she was done, but she had a month left of her sublet. Apparently, she had... You know, said to people, oh, if anybody wants the room, like, I still have a month, but I, I, New York isn't for me. Enter Bonnie. Enter me. And this was, like, a week to the end of the month. And I was like, uh, 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 uh. And, wow, okay, yeah, I, hap- I would like I'm do- that. I would we're like that. This. So we're doing this. And I was like, I don't think I can get my stuff together within a week, but I could do it. And I, I called her and I talked to her. And I was like, I could get out there by, like, August 9th. And she was like, okay, you can have it for half. Sold. So I went out there with like three bags, two bucks, one me. And my mom drove me uh, because she wanted to see the place. You know, it felt very scary. And I had like two suitcases and some bedding and went to move to this room. (laughs) Little body. You know, where I had like only a month on this sublet. And I was like, that's plenty of time to find something else. Not New York real estate, easy peasy. Easy, especially for September. (laughs) When school comes back. Exactly. Um, so I moved in, and there it was a three-bedroom apartment, and the other two residents were both from Otterbein. I never met them before, but again, we had all these mutual friends. And I went on the hunt to find an apartment, and I couldn't find anything. Everywhere I went, if I would like be like, I want it. They're like, somebody just took it. Mm. It was insane. There was and another I, Bonnie here just there a minute was, ago. <laughs> like, yeah. She just came. Like, no. Are you at like the equity lounge looking on the board? At, I didn't know at, that much. Okay. That was, no, it was, Not that, yet. That's too savvy. Mm. Um, I was like on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. 
And you um, were offered hot sex. <laughs> exactly. With, Th- those had plenty of openings. Nameless literally. sex, but nope, um, no apartment. Exactly. Coping, though. Um, but I had friends that were, like, my best friends were a little older than me in school. So they would all re- already had moved out here and were living. And, and one of them even was working at a temp agency, like placing temps. So she's like, come in, register. We'll get you work right away so you don't have to, like, worry about money. I'm like, okay. And I, like, moved to the city on a Thursday and then um, started work on Monday. You're and- like, Mr. Ziegfeld's office, please hold. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> and then I uh, literally couldn't find anything. And so one of the other people in the apartment, essentially for the first six months, I lived in every single bedroom of that apartment. Okay. And at one point of like two weeks, I was on couches because like they were coming back in and out. And then after that, I moved to in with two of my best friends from college. Their third roommate was leaving. And I was like, so you were all here. Yeah. So you had community. I did. And were they also pursuing a life in the arts, those two? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. One more the producing side and one um, she's an actress. Yeah. So how boots on the ground does Bonnie Milligan, who does not come here with lots of relatives or, you know, people in the biz to get her situated or started. Like, how did you break? You're on Broadway right now. You're winning awards. You're on national television. Everybody (laughs) wants to have you on their talk show. Your voice is so original and singular and powerful. So obviously at some point, you know, spoiler alert, she (laughs) finds her belting voice (laughs) after the tongue tension exercise and, and everything opening up to a whole new register and a whole new powerful voice, metaphorically and and literally. How do you, like, get a job? What was your first job? What actually started your professional career? What really started it was something that was, like, not professional, but what got me there was because of the ca- Craigslist. <laughs> it's back to Craigslist. Remember I mentioned a certain um, gentleman? <laughs> he broke me in, literally. No, sorry. Sorry, listeners. Um, no, I had a friend tell me about an audition at the Flea Theater in Tribeca, off, off Broadway. And it was, they were remounting a show they'd already done that was a huge success. And they were, look, it was called These Seven Sicknesses, which is a Sean Graney, um, essentially adaptation of all of Sophocles plays, all seven from... Uh, Number one through seven. Thank you. Thank you. I was like, how does it start? <laughs> Oedipus Rex to Antigone. Okay. And, you know, just some Greek tragedy. And he had created like one evening and it was like a four and a half hour evening of theater. Epic. And they had added music to it and they set it in a hospital and they had these six singing nurses, which were like the Greek chorus. So they wanted to, on the remount, get like... Fill those positions. With singers. singers. So I auditioned and um, without an agent, or do you have without an agent? An agent? Yet? No, no, no. Through no. a friend letting you know this my is friend happening. Was at the fleet, and he's like, "You need to come in for Great. this." And usually, like thousands kind of line up. They have like once a year auditions to join the company, and this was a special circumstance for just the show. So I almost didn't go, honestly, because of the self doubt mm. stuff. And I was in the process of working through it, but I wasn't quite on the other side. It was still Tuesday, I was in not therapy. Friday, exactly. And I woke up and I I didn't set the, I woke, okay, I was like the night before, like bring in a song, it's great. And I went to relook at the audition notice and it said with Shakespearean monologue and I hadn't done one since college and I have the training, I have, and I was like, that means I can't go. It's a sign, it's a sign. And I just, something kept being like, get your shit together. You're going to go. So I thought, okay, well, what do, okay, I do know. Okay, let me see if I know this. And do I, I have, remember it? And I, like, Google the one I'm thinking of, and it's still all in my head. Great. And I'm like, it's there. Okay. So I'm like, gosh, it's like 2 in the morning, though. Now I'm exhausted. I'm not going to sleep. So I go to sleep. I don't no, I don't remember if I set an alarm or if I slept through the alarm and I woke up and I'm like, well, I I didn't go early to sign up, so I shouldn't go. And again, that nagging voice, something inside was like, you need to go. I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to go down and there are probably no slots left, but I'll see what I can do. And I got down there at like 11 or something and there was one slot that had been erased from like 10 minutes from that moment Wow. that I walked in. And I was like, oh. Okay. So I wrote my name in and I stood there and I took off my coat and I'm like, okay. And about that time, it's like, Bonnie Milligan? 
okay. And I went in and I sang um, His Eyes on the Sparrow, a cappella. There was like no pianist provided. And because um, not really a musical company, you know, and I just gave it my all. And after the artistic director, Jim Simpson of the Flea, just said, because the last line is Mr. Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Set. Just for listeners in <laughs> Peru who might not know. And the last line was, and I know he watches me. And I finished and he just went, yes, he does. And I was like, like okay, let's do uh, let's do the monologue. I did a monologue. They're like, do you have another one? And luckily I did. Hold on, let me Google. Did another one. Siri? Let me make sure I know them. <laughs> Alexa? <laughs> and um, and then I got in that production. And it was that production that I started. Um, was was Jim Simpson directing it? or he? No, it was just um, um, Ed Sylvanus Iskandar was um, directing it. And it he was one that was very much about you need to meet everybody that comes. And he had a company, Exit Pursued by Bear, that wait wait start again tell me what you're saying so so t- say his name again ed sylvanus iskandar that's one name ed iskandar okay yeah. and he had it oh he had his own theater company before called uh, um exit pursued by bear like exit pursued by, by a bear by a bear like which a is, grizzly bear that yeah kind of which bear. is one of okay. like the famous stage directions okay and um oh i'm so sorry shakespeare one of his plays right Everyone's gone kill me for that Shakespeare is so famous he's famous (laughs) he's famous so Ed would hold he had a loft space and he would have productions and the actors would make food and then you would come as an audience and you would watch act one and the actors would serve you the food they made and talk with you and as themselves not the character and he was like I I want it to feel like an experience and I I find that if an audience knows you they root harder for you and they're Mm. more present because they feel a part of it so that kind of we didn't cook the food, but we did commune with the audience when they came in uh, for the show. And there were two intermissions for that. And we would serve dinner at the first and dessert at the second. And when you walk in, you're like, hey, I'm Bonnie. Thanks for coming. Have you been here? And like, which is you just mingle, which it's is a totally a, immersive theater yes. experience. And it's an interesting skill you have to learn. And sometimes you don't want to do that. You don't sure. want to go around and talk. Some people don't want to be talked to. But also you who feels really confident with a script and yeah. less so mm-hmm. off script at the beginning. At the you beginning. described yourself as someone who might right. be better off. Not doing that. <laughs> right, with strangers as me. Yeah. A character? Give me improv no, all day. I love it. hiding behind But like anything. when you're yourself? Yeah. So That's... was this the beginning of your professional community? That... For sure. For sure. Um, and that's – and he always emphasized knowing who you're talking to and networking. And that is, you know, how I started really meeting people. Mm. And um, – and I did – I was really working at the Flea for a year and then I started doing concerts and then I did my first off-Broadway show, which is Cuff Me, a Fifty Shades of Grey parody. You're welcome. Um, and God, then, I hope there's videotape. <laughs> and I was there and I had a great time, just four people in the cast, lots of improv and just fun, silly goofiness. So through these moments of mm-hmm. from the Flea Theater to Cuff Me to – Concerts and and yeah. forming community. Yeah. At any point, do you have representation? Um, not till later. But one of the shows, um, that's how I got my representation. A casting director from Telsey came, mm-hmm. and I'd met him and mingled him, and he reached out to me and said, "I think it's crazy. You don't have representation, and you're not equity, and I, I want to help you. I think there's something special about you." And so like, this was like a first angel who yes, appeared in that way. Yes, and Andrew Feminella, thank you. And he brought me in to Telsey one day, and he had me come in and sing like four or five songs, and we filmed it, and he submitted me to different agents that he had like been working with like through casting and I went and I chatted with like five different agencies and that's how I met my agent that's incredible Um, and I had generous how generous and I at that time I just got cast in Jasper and Deadland for a prospect theater which was now we're we're getting a little fancier Mm -hmm. you know I was still non-equity um but now we have like Matt Doyle's the star and you know things like that and Hunter Foster and you know we're all in that show co-wrote the book so Okay. He was also like in the room and I'd been such a fan. You're like, you're in town? I, I know it. My audition, like they literally looked at my resume and I had on there, you're in town, Soupy Sue, which I had done communally in Ohio. 
And but I, I did. kid you not, the director, I was singing Alone by Heart. Yes. And he was like, can you do that again? As Soupy Sue? And Hunter is sitting right next to him in the theater, in the theater, in the yeah. room. And I'm like, horrified because now I'm like, Hunter Foster's in the room and I'm already freaking out about that. But okay. Like, my take on Soupy Sue is that she's crazy. I think of Soupy as crazy. But like, lovable, but a nutbag. So I like wrapped myself in a curtain on the side of the room. I was rolling while like belting the G all over. And I was like, <laughs> just like, well, that's what you wanted. I did book it. So yep. I guess it worked. Yeah. But um, yeah. So somehow, by hook or by crook, I think as the expression goes, you build community. Yeah. And you start building a resume. Yeah. And Head Over Heels yes. comes into your life. Yeah. Originally through Jeff Witte. Yes. There have been many stages yeah. of Head Over Heels that include many artistic changes mm -hmm. also. Yeah. And you have ridden that wave. Yes. Were there moments when, because of the origin of it changing hands to new leadership, yeah. where you wondered if your part would be, where you would be replaced? Or did you always... Did everyone always let you know, like, you're with us. This has nothing to do with you. Or were you vulnerable? They, well, I, I mean, I was definitely still vulnerable. They always were really wonderful and kind of letting me know that, like, we love you. We, we definitely want to keep you in the process. Was it's, it always the same producers, even if it was a different director? A couple of our producers, yes. We, mm -hmm. we added um, a few along the way. But there were... As more money and, and the show got fancier and bigger yeah. and Broadway bound. Yeah, but we had um, a few of the same always from the beginning that were like, <clears throat> no, we, we, we want to keep you and the new team wants to keep you and all that jazz. And that's it's a it's a crazy emotional ride to take as you sometimes have like a survivor's guilt in a way, but then also complete gratitude to still be a part of something that you love. And you have to I remember having to think. Well, am I open to different changes and to different, you know, like, you know, I have to be. And if I can't be, then I shouldn't, you know, I'm sure they wouldn't keep me. Um, so it's kind of making sure you can kind of be present and available and bring what you bring to the table and being open to what everybody else brings. Well, what's also really unique about yeah. this experience is that it is very rare that that there's a willingness in the commercial world of producing on yeah. Broadway of not starring up a cast, yes. whether it's through stunt casting yeah. or legitimately bringing in the big guns Absolutely. once it moves to Broadway. And yeah. so the fact that I don't know how many of the present cast members have been it from the beginning. Just me. Just you. And obviously there are unbelievably talented people inhabiting yes. this cast, but there's no... Um, you know, they don't have Madonna above the title. Um, it is just really an incredible ensemble of gifted people, yeah. some with a, a long list of Broadway credits. Yeah. And some, Reggie York, Jeremy yes, Kushner. Who yeah. are, you know, who you want at the center yes. of your pieces. But what a testament to the, the money people to go, you know what, this is the cast. And yeah. we have the Go-Go's, they're stars. Yeah. I mean, there are so many things attached to it yeah. that are starry, but that they really stuck with you. It's obvious when people see the show, you will see why it's a no-brainer. And having Peppermint and, and all of these kind of special, sparkly yeah. attributes that everybody brings. If you could just talk a little bit about, you know, I think part of the beauty of this piece is that you talked earlier about your idea about what you should look like in order to make it. Yeah. And that being um, a bigger person rather than a you know, a, a waif of a person yeah. wasn't going to serve you well. Yeah. And I think, you know, for people who haven't seen the show, first of all, if you love the Go-Go's music, you're going to just have such a great time, even if you don't even generally go to see musical theater. Right. There's, a, there's already a, a soundtrack that goes with it that's just yes. so satiating. <laughs> and the whole thing is kind of turned on its ear in terms of taking a very modern story and, and setting it in an Elizabethan setting and all of that. But... You are playing a person who's described basically as the most beautiful person in the world. Yeah. And there is no irony. 
No. This is the world we're living in in yeah. this play, and you sing a song called Beautiful yeah. at the very top, and it allows the audience very quickly to know where you are. Yeah. And and up until very recently in our society, larger people were considered the most beautiful because yeah. it meant you had enough money for tons of food. You Correct. know, in Fiddler, he's like, my wife Golda has a double chin, right? Yeah. Like he sings If I Were a Rich Man because she's so well fed because yeah. they have rather yeah. than so it's interesting mm-hmm. it's some when we went from rubens and all of these gorgeous right. bodies that represented sexuality and beauty to kind of stick figures well, i think as women have gained their voice and power that it's interesting to me that you kind of coincide the the image of beauty of them has shrunk Mm-hmm. As they're, they've gotten, as their know. voices have gotten stronger in society in some way, but for people to come into a theater and see themselves represented on stage in every shape, size, gender, yeah. you know, all stereotypes out the window, yeah, what a thrill it must be to be a part of that. Truly, truly, and that was one of the things that you know, Jeff, when he conceived, really wanted. Um, there's a line that you know I say. Um, at the end, after again, I kind of assert how gorgeous I am. Um, <laughs> then I say, "Oh, you know, my context is oppressive, and you're free to my little sister." And I said, "For beauty standard through all time defines inconstancy." Mm-hmm. And it's like, what in does this, that mean? So it's like right now in this in this show, it's like I have to keep up with all these beauty standards. And you are the beauty standard. Exactly. So it's like, so it's hard. That's why it's oppressive. It's because beauty standard keeps changing. And there is something when you hear the plus size girl who's the most beautiful girl in the world saying, well, the standard keeps changing. It's like, I'm going to be, you know, standardized out of it. And, you know, and already she's aware of that. But like, it's it, you know, that that's that's the point that like back in the day, you know, I, I was the most beautiful. And why can't we look at that right now and say like, oh, yes, you know, so many scripts I get, it's all about just demeaning things with the weight and the size. And I can't just exist without being explained why I exist. Right. And it's like, but that's not how I live my life. And I'm sure that's not how a lot of bigger individuals do. And, you know, we date and we go about things without having to be like, well, you know, I'm stressed out, so I'm going to have an extra muffin. Like, nobody does that. But that's what would be in a play. Mm-hmm. To be like, oh, that's why she's big. That's why they cast her. You know? And it's like, why can't the big girl just be a girl on stage being any being anybody, let yeah. alone the romantic lead? Yes. And you are. And you bring the house to its feet <laughs> every night as we cheer a world we want to live in. Yeah. Um, that's the beauty of theater. And you're giving, I mean, the play's also hilarious. I mean, there's so much that happens oh my gosh, yeah. and it's devastating. And, and there's so much about accepting who you are for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Weight just being, you know, one part of a, a plethora of things yeah. we all deal with. But no matter who you are, whether you are Heidi Klum or Bonnie Milligan, it is always a ridiculous feeling to cross over the threshold from backstage to onstage and be the most beautiful person in the world. Like, it doesn't matter if you are literally considered the most beautiful. It's a very hard thing to own. So how do, you know, Allison Janney was on the podcast and she was saying that uh, she was doing a part where she had to play a queen and she was like, I don't feel like a queen. And the director was like, don't worry, you don't have to act like a queen. Everyone around you will treat you like the queen. Mm. And therefore you are. Yeah. It is not so much how you behave, but it is how others respond to you that yeah. teach the audience who you are. Yeah. And it took so much pressure off of her. She's like, okay, I don't have to act like, like what is a queen? You know, she's the most honest, vulnerable human yeah. on the planet and nothing about her feels like a queen. Right. Oscar aside, right? You know, so yeah. I would imagine for you, obviously some of the work is done for you. Yeah. Yeah. Because the whole world of the play is like, you are the most beautiful in <laughs> yeah, the land. Yeah. Um, yeah. But how do you go from civilian, my day, Bonnie, yeah. into that feeling? How, how do you celebrate it? How do you own it? How do you prepare when you go on stage for this role? I think there's, honestly, it's been a lot of how we've been uh, re- the reception mm-hmm. of the role especially and the people I meet and everybody that 
has talked to me and said, you don't know like what it is to see you sing beautiful. How many people have brought that up specifically? Mm-hmm. And they, I've talked to individuals that you can tell that there's something, something about them that the world is telling them is not beautiful. It doesn't have to be their size. It doesn't have to be anything. But they go, I can't tell you what it means to me to hear you sing that. And I've been hearing that, you know, since San Francisco and different, you know, even like young teenagers that just they're told all these things. You know what I mean? That they're like, you're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. And I I think there's just like a responsibility to give them something of that to like. I don't know, to see on stage and to see that bold, bold confidence because I'm like everybody, I struggle here and there. I'm not Pamela. I don't walk the around character. being like, I am the best thing in the world. And I have days where I feel beautiful and I have days that I don't. And I've, you know, I've been on the subway and had a little kid be really rude to me and, uh, you know, kind of point and say things. And I'm, I'm, I get like reminded. You don't sing beautiful on the C train. Uh, I know, right? Uh, hang on, buddy. You know what, buddy? From the top. You're like, what? <laughs> Showtime? No. Um, <laughs> so, Half hour, buddy. <laughs> so there's something to, that's what I kind of immediately dive into and like what Michael Mayer has always been like, I want to see the unabashed joy of celebrating yourself. Because there were times even he's like, you can be even more vain. You can be just sing how gorgeous you are and don't be apologetic for it. Mm-hmm. That I go, okay. And it is better when I do that. Yeah. And if I come out, I've had a day and I'm having a day that it's like, that's not Pamela's day. So right. I have to. She didn't have that little boy being no, asked to her. And she never would. Yeah. So. It's kind of coming out and embracing the sheer joy of standing on a stage and having everyone in the room have to agree that I'm gorgeous and not laugh and not, you know, they may laugh at how vain I am, but not laugh at me because I am beautiful. So let's go. Yeah. And so that's what I kind of hold on to and kind of strive for when, if I'm having a, a, a hard time in life. Do you feel successful? I I do. I don't. It's funny. Like I get being like, once you're on Broadway, it'll all, it'll all feel like I've done it. I've made it. I don't know that I feel that. Um, but there are days when I'm very aware of like, oh, we're on Broadway and we're, you know, this. But it's not. Um, it always feels like, OK, like that, that you're not ready to breathe yet, that we still got to hustle and and make sure everything is you know going right and are we getting the houses and are we getting this and um, and do you feel like you have to strike while the iron is hot like are you surrounded by people who are like okay we have this moment and we need to we need to figure out what to do next are you sort of trying to strategize how to move forward what do you see for your future I think there are definitely people, you know, like my agent and everybody that's like, okay, we need to think about what we're doing next or what what's happening that so much of me wants to just kind of be in this moment, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, it, it's like you should think ahead and it's probably good to have people in your life that's like, okay, but we need to. Which is their job. Which is their job. That, yeah, there there's so much of this that is... Um, crazy because it's all the emotions and it's exhaustion and it's excitement and it's um, doing all the things but also somehow trying to stay present Mm -hmm. and as I say in the show enjoy the now now so what would you tell your younger self if you could go back you know if I could go back I, I would say to just trust a little bit um trust myself a little bit more and um to not let certain words kind of get to you. But at the same time, that kind of crash I hit got me into therapy, which was necessary. Mm-hmm. So um, so you're pro-therapy. Yes. I need to get back in it. Let's be real. But, I was hoping this session would really yeah, help. I hope. it's. I'm feeling it. It's good. <laughs> um, hopefully you can charge my insurance. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think everything really does happened for a reason and in you know right timing and um you know I may not be a religious person but I find myself as a spiritual person Mm -hmm. and I do believe in God and all those kind of like things um and I think God put me on the earth for this and for a reason and the struggles I've had hopefully are 
for a reason <laughs> and that it is to help others in some way and to just shine some light into this insane darkness that is yeah. happening in the world today. Yeah. Well, you, I have to say, I felt so lucky to be in the audience and get to witness your work. Thank you yeah. are, aside from an unbelievable singer, you are an incredible actress. Thank you. And what you bring to that part, which could have been a very one-dimensional, yeah, wonderful, one-dimensional experience, is so nuanced and Thank so you. unique. And there will be others who play this part because the show is going to be done all over the world because its <laughs> message so. is gorgeous. Yeah. And Michael Mayer has done such a beautiful yes, job. Yes, And Spencer Liff oh, has done the most amazing. extraordinary choreography. And Tom and Kitt, the music. Tom I mean, Kitt, yeah. who taught me piano when I was pregnant <gasps> before he was Tom That's Kitt. Amazing. Um and Kim Grigsby, who yes. was our musical director, and Charlie Brown. You know, oh, I love. Yeah, I, forgot about I that. just love Michael's loyalty yeah. to his family and the people that he loves to work with. Yeah. So you're going to work forever on Broadway if you want to keep doing that, with Mr. <laughs> Mayor. But I just want to say, like, what a privilege to be present for the beginning of what promises to be one of the most extraordinary careers. Aww. And you are such a beautiful human being. Thanks. And how lucky. How lucky we are to be alive right now with Bonnie Milligan. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> I, I, um, I mean it. I mean it. It's not hyperbole. You are such an extraordinary human. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your gifts. And good luck with friggin' everything. <laughs> thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc.